Hello. Today we're going to be talking about NPCs, uh, factions, and how to make them interesting and unique. Uh, welcome to Dueling GMs. I'm Joseph. And I'm Anthony. Uh, this is a show for GMs and players. One about designs and details. Build a better role-playing community. So let's dive into NPCs. Um, how to make them interesting and unique, right? Uh, NPCs, for those that aren't familiar, those are non-playable characters, meaning the GM, as they uh, run the story, uh, the players will be, or the player characters will be interacting with uh, individuals within the world. Uh, collectively, uh, those are known as NPCs. So it's a big world, right? Uh, imaginative uh, you got lots of different types of characters um, what are some things that might make them interesting well the the first thing that comes to mind is you know we, you don't want the the situation where you've played the the really flat boring uh, video game where you walk through town and either it's ghost town there's nothing there or there's people you can't interact with or maybe even worse you walk up to them and you hit the interact button whatever that is and they say something super generic like hello adventurer you're right yeah that's flat that's static it's boring um and maybe there's there's a need to have that in something like a video game but um, because it has to be hard-coded it has to be uh designed in a certain way but you as a, a GM have the opportunity to uh, be creative, to be unique, to to flesh out the world however you want. Uh, so I think that's what you're you're getting at, right? Not necessarily yeah. how to make every single uh, NPC that the characters come across uh, completely um, 100% a, a unique individual that they're going to remember for the rest of their lives. But the ones that they're going to be getting quests from, maybe... Uh, tavern keepers, uh, people that they're going to interact with on a regular and, you know, uh, you know, uh, from time to time or, or maybe a recurring character. Right. Yeah. And this maybe also includes villains as well as allies. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would, I mean, I would just lump anyone that the, that the game master is basically running, um, as NPCs. So that could be, you know, rivals, it could be, uh, classmates, it could be uh, villains, as you said, uh, it could be a lot of different types of characters. So, um, so are you saying then that any of the characters in the game that aren't being played by the other players at the table are basically PCs for the GM, play, player characters for the GM? Is that the case or no? No, and I think we can we can get into that uh, in a little bit. Um, I think there is definitely a time to make uh, ones interesting and when to be generic. Um, like you said, you know, having uh, generic characters is is flat, but there are certain times to do that. Um, and maybe we can get into that, or uh, you know, continue with just what, in your opinion, would make them interesting. Okay, so what makes a character, uh, an NPC, interesting uh, from a player perspective? 
Uh, let me let me start with that. It's one that maybe has something quirky either to their voice, to their mannerisms. Uh, maybe has a particular phrase that they that they use from time to time. So even if I don't remember their name, uh, the minute that uh, I interact with them again, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this person um, because you're you're meeting so many different people. You may be traveling all over uh, the the land, all over the country, and uh, it's hard to keep them you know apart. And sometimes you know the maybe the the GM isn't even thinking overly clearly and names some of the NPCs very very similarly. Well, how am I going to tell the difference between a uh, Daruk and a Darak? Well, it's because the personalities are completely different. Mm -hmm. okay yeah uh i i definitely agree that uh you know mannerisms uh you know if you can help with names uh that's great but if it's you know important or like you said if you just end up <clears throat> naming uh slightly similar to another one you definitely need to overemphasize some of the other aspects then that makes them unique um just so they don't start to confuse uh, the NPCs yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. And I think it's okay then, uh, from, from a GM side of things, it's okay to almost overemphasize certain things. Um, especially if it's, if it's a character that you want the players to remember, uh, having them, uh, be quirky, having them, uh, if you're sitting at a table, you can use certain facial expressions, scrunch up your face, you know, talk out of the side of your mouth, that type of thing. Uh, then they even have uh, visual cues to, to remind uh, themselves of, you know, who this person is. And um, all of those things, I think, help add to the, the flavor of a particular NPC. Yeah, I mean, when, uh, when creating an NPC, uh, definitely, you know, think of something that would uh make them uh unique in that sense like you said a voice um we could uh talk uh, from the side of the mouth you can uh give it a, you know an older uh more gravelly uh voice uh, if you're trying to you know denote age uh or like you said um you know something that is visible um like something identifiable maybe the the npc has like a scar over their eye something that you want to like point out to them so that they could even jot that down as just a helpful reminder of, you know or even role play like how did you get that scar uh and it might make for an interesting you know dynamic uh for one of the npcs that again might not mean a whole lot um but it might be just that segue into quest giving uh, or something along those lines. Yeah, I, I think um, as you were talking there, I was reminded of the way that um, I try to categorize a number of different things. I teach music lessons. And one of the things that I uh, encourage the students to learn is uh, the like what, when, how, why, those types of, of questions. And I think it may be good to categorize uh, or, or to help differentiate your NPCs in that way as well. Um, most of the time, if we're creating a relatively flat static world, we're going to stop with the who. 
we're going to answer the question, who is this particular person? They're the captain of the guard in the hometown uh, where the uh, the PCs start. Um, you know, there's maybe I, I know a little bit about them that I've uh, been able to flesh out that they've been the captain for the last 10 years. They inherited the role from their father. They're married. They don't have any children. Great. That's a who. And it's workable, right? You have a little bit mm -hmm. to work with. Um, but I think what we just tackled was maybe the next good step, which is um, uh, what what type of person is this? Is it somebody who who speaks with a gravelly voice? Is it uh, the type of person who um, maybe had something happen to them and so they walk with a limp or they have a scar on their face? Uh, you're starting to flesh out uh, the mannerisms a little bit more, but they're still missing a key ingredient. Mm -hmm. And that is the why. Why, exactly. And I think that's where we stop uh, and, and we fail to uh, have a lot of flavor uh, in the, the characters that we introduce. So I know you've got a list. Uh, what are some of the things that fall under why for you? Uh, I think for me, um, I would look at it uh, like the way a uh, player might make a character. Um, you know, we have... Uh, in at least a lot of different games, some sort of uh, set that's called like, you know, motivations, goals, flaws, bonds, ideas, or ideals. Uh, and all of that can be very easily applied to NPCs. Um, if it takes a lot to, you know, come up with, there's plenty of like random table generators. And, you know, they, they might tell you something again that what. But then you have to look at them and say, all right, now, why? You know, why? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I have a couple tables here. I can just easily look at one. Like, um, you know, I, I blow up at the slightest insult. That is a uh, personality trait, right? Well, okay. But why, why do you do that? Were you, you know, you have to get in the mindset of the NPC. Like, were they insulted a lot when they were growing up? You don't need to go much, you know, into it. Just maybe that's why they're a little bit harsher to the uh, party whenever the party's like, hey, how you doing? And it's just like, whatever, fine. Instead of like, uh, you know, great. How are you? Uh, you know, just understanding what that trait is and kind of what they're after, um, you know, I think definitely goes a long way. So it's not really making a big big backstory for them but just like you said understanding the why is, is super important uh, i think you can make a lot of three-dimensional uh characters that way um and i think you know going from that like goals uh you know you can easily find lists of goals as well uh out there and you know is it, is it greed um well well why is it greed is it just money for him you know them, themselves or is it for uh, a sick loved one or is it for some other reason nefarious or good uh you know you can you know slap on an alignment as well if you want to uh, i personally don't uh, think that that's uh as fun um i think you know having a little bit more of a grayscale there is is, is better but uh for 
just having these goals and motivations, it might be, it might play into that quest that they're about to ask the, the party, like, Hey, you know, can you find this treasure, but then we can split it. And then it's no skin off their backs. They still get some of their money. Um, you know, uh, just as an example. Yeah. And that's, that's good, especially if they're going to be a quest giver or traveling with the party for any length of time, those types of things are inevitably going to come up. Uh, especially in a group of good uh, role players. They're going mm-hmm. to ask the why questions. Uh, yes, we may be willing to go and do this quest for you, but why do you want it? And if you don't yeah. have an answer for it, uh, you know, when they ask you, you're going to come up with something very generic, very simple, or, or maybe um, turn the party against you by saying something like, well, you don't need to know. Now the party starts to get a little suspicious. And uh, if they're anything like our group, they're already overly paranoid uh, about everything. And really, it was you trying to say, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, so knowing why um, your your NPCs are motivated in a certain way and why they have the particular goals that they have will go a long way in um, even alleviating just GM and player confusion. Yeah. And, and I think having, um, you know, sometimes you don't have the time as a, as a GM and sometimes this sort of falls flat at times, uh, you know, you can make something up and then let them roll to see if the person's lying. You know, again, that gives you, that buys you a couple more seconds to be like, well, why would they do this in case you haven't thought of it yet? And then if, they decide to, you know, incite the NPC, then you, know, you could say, well, maybe they're lying for a unique reason. And it's maybe a little suspicious. Maybe it's not, you know, you don't have to be like, oh, they're automatically the worst. Uh, but maybe they don't, you know, maybe they, the NPC feels shame to give the, the right answer or they seem nervous. And it turns out that they're being blackmailed for something. And it kind of spirals up a new quest, even though the original quest was to get this treasure. Now the party has the choice of getting it so that the blackmailer gets what they want or to help this NPC a little further. So it, it can spawn more quests without really thinking hard as to, you know, what that might entail. It just sort of can snowball in a good way. Yeah. So, and I think that works really well. The the motivation, the goal, um, flaw, bond, ideal, the type of things that are available for the even the PCs as they're making their their character. Um, I know we've talked about this before, you and I. That uh, I feel like you have a really good handle on creating good, especially uh, villains, uh, reasons why. Uh, a group of NPCs may want to pursue, uh, sorry, a group of PCs, player characters may want to pursue looking into particular uh, villains, not just because they are overly evil and want to take over the world. Um, and I think you do that uh, by tackling the personality type pretty well. Um, I don't know if you want to get into that at all, but what's some of your thought processes behind giving uh, a nemesis or, or, you know, a villain, a personality? Sure. So uh, one uh, game that, that I ran was a, a Mutants and Masterminds, a superhero uh, 
game. And I think what uh, my approach for some of the, the villains in that was to uh, either take uh, something, you know, similar as to the, the player characters. So for instance, um, Misty was kind of a very smart uh, individual. Um, her abilities was, you know, super, uh, super smart, uh, telekinesis to an extent a lot of uh tinkering um and having someone that was on par with the smarts um created a level of almost rivalry um but almost skewing how she looked at the world into something that uh this was uh an individual that was kind of like a mobster a very strategic one for that that uh so where she used it for, you know, items to build, um, this individual, uh, basically created, uh, items for control. Uh, so it's just taking almost what the, one of the player characters was and just slightly adjusting it and then giving them uh, a motivation that's not as ideal. Um, I am a fan of Meyer, Meyer Briggs. Um, sometimes I jot that in into it and I kind of re-reference, uh, you know, what some of the, the letters from, you know, are, and it's like, okay, they're a little bit more sensory. So they're not necessarily always thinking of deeper, you know, intuitive aspects, but they're better at getting their senses around them. So, you know, maybe this villain has a little bit of, you know, more, you know, observatory, um perception around or has good reason to be the bodyguard of another villain uh so i think you know using personality types and thinking like well what would they do in our you know type of world and almost translating it to various occupations that way helps um or just taking like the complete opposite you know like Oh, we have the the brawn versus the brain. Um, we have uh, other individuals that you know they're just working in the shadows. So you always see the trail, but you can never find them unless the PCs really want to do that. But you know there are bodies being left behind, or what what have you. They're always just one step ahead, um, and I think that creates a lot of and not just it's not missed opportunities, but it's like. Oh, maybe I should try and you know investigate this a little a little harder and narrow in my uh search and and quests to kind of focus in on you know solving this problem um that's that's sort of the approach that I take for you know villains um other ones i I try to make it where um you know the motivation is sometimes good uh, but how they uh get to their goal isn't always great or vice versa to kind of play into that, you know, who's really the bad guy. Um, is there, you know, different ways of looking at it, just morally shades of gray. Um, it's a little hard to do that with just, you know, a body count, but, um, you know, just like, like I mentioned in terms of getting money for a loved one, you know, there could be a lot of sympathy and empathy that it might not turn into a fisticuff fight between good and evil, but it might just be a, Hey, if we give you the money, like 
would you stop doing the bad thing that you're doing? And you know, right, right. So yeah, see if there's different ways to approach the situation. Yeah, we're just a straightforward approach with not that much, uh, not that many layers to the the character. Uh, it may just reveal this person's stealing the money or or trying to get you know things by illegal means and the party takes them down they have them arrested they kill them and you never find out that ultimately they were just trying to help out their their family because you didn't really build that in so yeah it, it allows for a lot more layers and a lot more nuance which is you know the type of thing i prefer because that's the way the real world works yeah and i think another thing that we just very briefly just mentioned was was bonds like you know what happens when an ally of the the party is actually friends with the villain um for whatever reason that might be it just creates a unique twist that you know that the 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 good ally just isn't aware that the party's hunting down their friend you know what do they do in that situation do they lie to the party do they not uh you know are there different reasons and motivations there so asking yeah, and, the and bonds are bonds are an interesting approach you could take that exact same scenario and depending on uh who or what somebody is bonded to their their motivation their reason for doing the exact same thing may be different you know if they're if their bond is uh because they're beholden to the the villain you know, either be being blackmailed or they owe a whole bunch of money, whatever the case is, it's a negative bond, right? But they're still motivated in a particular way to do whatever they can to get out from underneath of the, the villain. So they maybe will steal, you know, the item or the the money that we were talking about. Uh, but maybe what, what if your bond is to um, do whatever you can to keep your family safe? So maybe it has less to do with the villain, but if it means that I have to steal this item, steal this money to keep my family safe because it, I'm being they're being threatened, or maybe I have to do it so I can sell it on the black market so I can feed my family. Now my bond is to my family. It seems a little bit more altruistic, uh, but the end goal is essentially the same thing. Yeah, and and you know it doesn't even have to be people as weird as that might it might be towards an institution or you know my my bond to my you know my college is is important to me so or even if, a principle or a philosophy or yeah exactly uh you know so maybe i'll i'll steal the party's you know the the wizard spell book for the sake of the college that i belong to even though that might not be necessary but i'm gonna do it anyway you know it just are they inherently bad for taking one thing that's for the party to decide? Um, and it just creates, you know, more unique and interesting, uh, you know, dynamics for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, like you said, going into um, like bonds to, you know, certain beliefs um, and, and just ideals or institutions, we have factions. Um, what are factions in role-playing games you know what are some examples of what that might look like well, factions are are interesting and a lot of it depends uh well first of all let me start by saying you need to have factions in your game if if you don't you're missing out on a grand opportunity uh and part of that is because you can build 
the, those things into your individual NPCs. But if factions don't exist, then all the NPCs are uh, operating of their own accord. But what if they're also motivated, like you said, by uh, the particular groups that they're a part of? And so this can take different shapes depending on the size and scope of your game. If you're playing a game that is centered around a particular uh, city or a particular region, you may only need you know, regional gangs, uh, regional guilds, um, particular political parties inside the city, that type of thing. But if you're if you're doing something that's a little bit uh, larger, a little bit more uh, full size world, then your factions may not be those types of things, although they absolutely could. Um, it, but they're more likely to be different countries, different realms, different kingdoms that may or may not be at war with each other or have political tension um, against each other. And those are likely the things that are going to be, you know, the factions you deal with. And you can overlap those quite a bit if you want. And you could have worldwide organizations and guilds and uh, and gangs if you if you would like, but they are probably less common. Um, and they may be powerful enough that they could rival a particular kingdom or country at, at that point. You know, like the, um, uh, the the mafia in modern terms, you could maybe, you know, build them up to be their own kingdom, as it were, uh, and pit them against, you know, England or the United States or whatever the case is, um, where you know, just a, a rival, you know, street thug, thug gang. If you're playing a, you know, gigantic world campaign, well, that's not necessarily a faction you need to spend a lot of time developing. Within there, there are tons of different categories, right? Right, right. I was going to say, like, in terms of, like, building out a, a faction, like, how would you start with that? Uh, well, I think I would start by trying to figure out how to... Um, is this a political game? Uh, if so the factions are probably going to be very political. Is this a game that's going to uh, deal heavily in uh, religion? And maybe there are uh, religious orders that are, you know, pitting themselves against each other. Um, we, we need to figure out what the game is about and probably build the most of the factions, not all of them, but most of the factions around that concept. Um, and so your your factions may fall into uh, I'm I'm looking at a, a list from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything um, as example patrons, uh, but I think they it works really well for uh, a guide to creating factions as well. They have categories like academic, it may be uh, universities, or if you're playing a campaign that deals with a university, it may be particular houses. Uh, if you think Harry Potter or different uh, schools within the college uh, that are maybe vying for, you know, those academic grants, uh, maybe vying for the uh, power uh, politically or, you know, academically within the college, whatever the case is, um, you may have um, nobility and, and various noble houses, especially, again, if you're playing in a very smaller um, close 
regional type of campaign, uh, noble houses are a great way to build up the tension within uh, a city without having to dive into a lot of uh, politics, uh, at least not governmental types of politics, if you don't want. Uh, noble houses are always trying to one-up each other, uh, show that they're better than each other, and so you can have a lot of fun with that. Um, you can have gangs. Uh, Tasha's guide mentions them as criminal syndicates. Um, but you could have rival gangs, rival guilds, maybe even fall under that, or you can have uh, guilds as completely separate entity. Um, and it may be that your town or your region has a lot of, you've got the mages guild, the thieves guild, all of you like your standard things, or they may be a little bit more nuanced, right? Uh, they may overlap quite a bit, but a lot of times your, your guilds are hyper-specialized. And um, so you may be looking for work and have lots of different people trying to hire you and, you know, offering to pay you a ton of money and you have your choice of, you know, pick of the litter from all the guilds. Um, it could be different uh, political groups in terms of like kingdom and country military uh, forces. That's another one on the list. Uh, that's a little more straightforward. Um, religions, whether it's strict adherence to one uh, deity or a group of deities and, you know, being completely against other deities, there's a lot of, of uh, faction tension that can be built there. And it may simply just be a particular king or queen or ruler uh, of an entire area um, that that they, whether they are vying for power or they already have the power, uh, you can build a lot of uh, faction and political uh, intrigue and tension in, in there. So that's the the list in Tasha's guide. And like I said, I think that's a, a good starting point for, for categories for sure. Yeah. I, I think like for me, I always like to, you know, broaden things when and where uh, it's applicable. Um, you know, you have the king, right? An NPC, you've, you know, sort of defined some of his personality, um, you know, and now you have the royal family, right? It's, it's a faction. It's one that uh, extends from this NPC. Um, do you sometimes make factions, like, do you give factions motivation goals personality like you would an npc or do you kind of approach it from a different uh like view from like their beliefs and sort of make the npcs from there yeah i absolutely build my factions out as if they're a living breathing character all to themselves um they have particular motivations that's kind of hardwired over the course of the years that they've maybe even millennia that they've been around uh there are certain things that are ingrained in them and passed on to all all uh, of the followers because it's what their philosophy is it's why they exist and so uh, that for me is my starting point i basically come up with those same types of things what is the uh the the generic personality type uh, or the ideal idealized personality type for all people in this particular faction, knowing that that's not how it always plays out. But if they were to in their mind, create the perfect individual 
and the perfect follower for this faction, what would they look like? And that's probably what the what the personality of the faction itself is. What are they motivated by? What are they trying to accomplish? Um, what's their long-term goals? What's their, what are their short-term goals? Are there other groups and other factions that they like, that they dislike, that they're at war against, uh, that they are allied with in some way? And then also, why is that the case? Um, so I, I really, that same list, the personality type, motivation, goal, flaw, bond, ideal, uh, quirky traits. I give all of those things to my factions. Number one, it makes them more believable. It makes them more uh, understandable. But at the same time, then as I start to introduce NPCs from those factions, it allows me to say, okay, this one, this particular NPC doesn't deviate. Uh, they are you know, the epitome of this faction's personality. And mm -hmm. they have the same goal and the same, even the same flaw, like the, the blind spot that they can't necessarily see, but their motivation, well, maybe that's a little bit different from the motivation of the organization. And I'm allowed to tweak and pull at the strings a little bit and give you a lot of characters that on the surface may look and act like very generic flat characters. But the more you start to dig and the more you start to ask questions, the more you realize, oh, this person has this other little thing that they're a little bit different from the last person that I interacted with. Let me kind of pull at that string just a little bit more. And sometimes those are the best ways to introduce either um, uh, flaws in uh, in, in groups, flaws in the factions, uh, maybe there are holes in the political parties that you can um, take advantage of. Uh, maybe there are um, people who are willing to be swayed for the right amount of money or the right amount of, of also uh, in, information, exchange of information. And those are the ways that you can help the, the players identify those things because they don't go with the faction type and the uh, the same goals and motivations. And so they can identify those and say, oh, let me work on that one a little bit more or let me dig in and find out why, because that usually there's a story behind that. Yeah, uh, it, to me, whenever I start to you know look at factions in my in my games um, and, and NPCs, uh, I do you know go back and forth and for me, whenever I say, all right, this, this person, this NPC is going to be the head of this faction. I usually have those, like you said, like the, the personality type, the motivation goals, flaws, pretty identical, right? The, uh, and then I usually try to make uh, some sort of like second in command and th there's going to be at least a difference, right? You can't have them all the same. You want that uniqueness. So, you know, the motivation might be centered towards the head uh, instead of the actual organization or whatever that might be. But then I usually include like two to three like grunts. Uh, you know, you don't need if you have, you know, an, an organization that, or a faction that you want that's like worldwide, do not spend more than like a little bit of time. Like you don't need to flesh out like more than five NPCs in that in that faction off the, off the bat. Um, you know, someone that they meet or interact with that might be a grunt person when they first get introduced to the faction, uh, you know, and eventually they might meet their boss and that could be that commander that, you know, some, that middleman, right? Um, but you might see differences between all of the NPCs, but again, asking the why 
like why are they in that faction right you know is it something that even aligns with the faction itself or are they trying to subvert the faction uh right. so these are you know questions that definitely are, are worth asking uh to yourself uh in terms of, of doing that but don't you know over planning is definitely something that you can always fall into a trap when it comes to making factions i feel for sure yeah um, and I, I think what what you described is is usually a, a good idea that you need to identify how many people within the group are even worth introducing to the party as a whole. Um, and one way to to tell the party, hey, you don't need to chase this down too far or chase this particular individual down too far. Um, it's OK to introduce them sometimes as nameless right? Mm -hmm. A particular soldier comes up, a servant approaches you, um, a random priest in the temple comes up to you. You don't give them a name and uh, they don't seem to offer it. Um, at least with our group, that's a, you know, waving the flag that says this guy is just a, you know, errand boy, just a message runner. Um, they're not the person that you really need to dig in too deep. Um, and I think that helps. Um, well, yeah. uh, one of the ways you described these uh, groups and how you break them down, um, I want to poke at just a little bit because I think I sometimes do the opposite. Okay. Um, so sometimes it's a lot of fun to have the faction um, personality type and the motivation and all that sort of stuff with the expectation that the person at the head uh, completely personifies all of those things, right? Um, but what I found works really well sometimes is that maybe the second in command is the one who actually 100% is a stickler for all of those things. And the person who currently is in charge actually doesn't personify those things nearly as well. And that provides a little bit of friction almost immediately within the organization. Maybe it's that the second in command thinks that they should be in charge and the person that's at the top is no longer fitting, you know, no longer deserving. Or if you wanted to do the uh, the hero villain flip there, it may be that it's a good organization or you know, neutral at best. But the person at the top now no longer embodies the same characteristics that used to make that organization good, whatever they deem good to be. Right. Um, and that's an easy way for, for the party to start to uncover, Hey, there's something nefarious going on. And I think it goes all the way to the top with the person in charge. And now they can choose to potentially uh, align themselves with the number two, number three, some of those other uh, individuals in an effort to topple the person at the top with the hopes that then the faction can be redeemed in some way. Um, I really like uh, playing with the intrigue and, and the politics uh, within factions, not just across faction lines. I think it provides a lot of opportunity for for growth, for subverting expectations, um, and also for you know redemption storylines that aren't necessarily single people. But uh, examples, just like in the real world, where one or two people could poison an entire group, and if they could just get a little bit uh, different leadership um, at the top, how drastically it can change the well-being of lots of other people underneath of them. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, the motivation of the NPCs, I feel like, is what that comes down to. Uh, you know, if you want to have, you know, internal struggle within a faction, you know, that's easy to do. You just, you know, pick the two, you know, two NPCs in that faction. It could be the top two. It could be a grunt in the, in the middleman. Uh, and you just, you know, swap a goal, you know, or just do an opposite goal. Uh, and you now have tension between individuals within the faction, like, you know, or, you know, or, uh, they want to see the faction go in a different direction or they're the overly, you know, zealous to the extreme version that better personifies what the faction's about or, right. You, know, you, you can have sub factions, you can have, you know, the, the counter, the counterculture faction, like within it. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you could you could take it for sure if you wanted to have the internal faction issue, uh, or the faction itself is perfectly fine. The whole, you know, the the whole aspect that the party agrees with, but like you said, they could start digging, and it turns out that one person is is actually just you know siphoning the money themselves, or you know, yeah, doing something that's that's not known to the faction it's not causing any faction friction until the party interjects and now the party needs to defend themselves from the rest of the faction you know it's just right right there's a lot of different ways you can certainly take different ideas um for that which is always fun um but it doesn't always have to be you know faction v faction it could be faction party faction you know of the same faction there's a lot of a lot of things you can do with that um and, you know and within those different categories you could even pit different uh categorical factions against each other maybe there is a kingdom who is starting to uh go against the um officially recognized religion and now you have you know a, a religious organization versus a political organization and see how those particular things clash as well so there's yeah. an opportunity for a lot of overlapping. Right. Yeah. And in that case, it might be a faction V faction uh, or uh, like you said in the past, like you could have noble houses versus the Royal family. Um, you know, you can have tension there or, you know, within a majocracy, it's just whoever has the best magic wins. And so there's competitions and it's just, you know, you pick, you pick a house, uh, you pick a school, uh, and, and that's, and that's that. Um, but even within the school, you might have certain people, you know, striving for, for power. And, um, there's lots of different options for sure. Um, so, you know, we have, uh, a, a growing living organism that is both factions and NPCs. Now for factions, what makes them unique? Uh, like a lot of people, a lot of different games rules talk about renown, um, you know, influence being infamous, like what is renown, uh, in those terms and, and how would you use it in a game and why is it, why is it just useful? Uh, renown, just without knowing what you're thinking, uh, in that regard, renown to me is how, well-known you are um, outside of 
you know, your immediate sphere of influence. Um, whether, uh, you know, a little bit of renown may be that you're known locally, uh, a little bit more renown, maybe, you know, regionally. Um, and then obviously world renown is, you know, you know, that term because it's, you know, known all over the world. Right. right. Um, is, is that where you were leaning with that one? It was, yeah. Like, but like, what does that mean in terms of like role play or, uh, you know, are there limitations to renown or I guess how would, how would you use it in, in a game just as an example? I, I think renown um, is a double-edged sword, right? If you're trying to do something uh, and you you have the, the backing of a particular faction that is very well known, uh, it is more likely that they're going to be able to, you know, grease the, the wheels a little bit, right? Make things a little bit easier for you if you can flash a badge or, you know, show a little certificate um, or say the password, right? And, and certain things will happen for you because you're a part of that group um, and because that group is well known. So it, it could make things easier for the, the party or for an individual who's a part of that group if their renown is high. However, if you happen to wear insignias for a particular faction, if somebody uh, sees you interacting with somebody from that particular religious group or that particular political party, uh, because they're well known, it means that it is much harder to hide what you're doing and not be noticed. Because the more you interact with people who are famous, the more likely it is that you're going to also uh, be recognized and it's going to be much harder for you to accomplish things covertly. So a double-edged sword for sure, renown. Yeah, yeah, you get that publicity for better and worse. Right. Uh, uh, so if you're trying to, you know, like you said, be covert about things, well... The you paparazzi's always there. Exactly, yeah. You have, yeah, exactly, yeah, the paparazzi looking, you have people watching from the shadows, you have, you know, anything going on in that sense. Um, and yeah, I think, like you said, for, for uses, uh, you know, getting into places that you couldn't have before getting access to a library for lore purposes and research. Um, there's lots of different things you could do and you could almost, you know, convert those to useful downtime activities that might help them with skills or learning a language that maybe they just wouldn't have had access to otherwise. Yeah. Uh, you know, or important items. Uh, it's always good to get uh, good, you know, good items. And, you know, having that uh, patron of sorts uh, provide is always is always helpful. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what about on the flip side, though? Like, you know, you've you've paired up. Uh, this is the other half of the sword. Or maybe you've done something to just offend a faction. Uh, you, you might. You know, the party might not be affiliated with anybody, um, but a faction came up and was like, you know, I want you to steal this from me. And the party ultimately decides they want to keep it or sell it for themselves. Now they have a negative renown towards that faction. Um, what would be ways that you would go about doing that if if a organization now is against a party of you know, a few members, uh, what would you do? Would you have them constantly be on the run? Would you have it be more localized based on the renown or, you know, or the negative renown is kind of what I'm 
going with the, the infamous level. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so if the the infamy is maybe it's at that point less uh, overtly known, but it's like where you have the the sign of you know be on the lookout for person who matches this description. Right. And so every time you walk into a new town, you're checking the message boards, you're wearing like your hoods up, you're wearing your hat down, uh, you get the Groucho marks, uh, you know, glasses on, whatever the case is to try to uh, prevent being noticed until you can tell whether or not they're looking for you in this particular area. Um, and it may not be that extreme. It could simply be, hey, this person doesn't pay his bar tabs. And so don't serve them at this particular bar. That's also negative renown, right? Um, so it, you know, it, it maybe it gets to the point where not only can you not serve them, don't let this person into the bar, into the tavern until they pay up. And so you're getting starting to get barred from particular places, not just, you know, a, a tavern, but it could be lots of different places because, hey, these people don't do what they say they're going to do. And so there are negative repercussions um, and it may go all the way to the extreme example, like you said, of now they're getting hunted. Now they can't even necessarily stop into any major cities because people are going to notice them. People are going to try to arrest them or just kill them on the spot. Um, and so now they're vigilantes or they're fugitives on the run and they have to always just camp outside, stay in the woods, uh, you know, craft some elaborate hiding strategy until they can either clear their name if there is a way to do that or uh, put an end to the, the person or the group that are trying to hunt them down. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of negative sides to renown if you burn the bridges that you're not supposed to. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, both should be. Uh, used well and you know just because you end up offending uh, one of these uh, factions perhaps that is what wins you favor with another faction uh, you know if you weren't part of one before you might have a, an open hand a, a palm leaf so to speak from their enemy you know the the, the faction's enemy and say hey We've noticed that you've been a thorn in the Thieves Guild. Uh, might we interest you in helping us out? Yeah, extend a little palm branch of sorts just to, to see if there's interest. Exactly. Uh, no, all good things. Now, when it comes to crafting factions, uh, we, you know, we mentioned about like giving them a set of like beliefs or like their philosophy uh, or even like just like a a deity follow, you know, following whatever that might be. Like, how do you go about setting up that uh, set of beliefs for them? Or do you just sort of, you know, reference, uh, like you said, like Tasha's and say, well, you know, military could be this, this and this. And so that's a general belief or is that slightly different? Um, I, I tend to sometimes dig into this a little bit more. Sometimes it's just like a, a one sentence or a one phrase statement that encapsulates uh, basically the motivation and goal of the group. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's enough. If I'm really digging in a little bit more, then I take a cue more from the, uh, the paladin oaths, that there are particular tenets 
that yeah. we choose to adhere to. Um, and, and I even categorize them a little bit. There's maybe two or three that I'll list that uh, we absolutely uh, dogmatically will do this at all costs. You know, we will pursue these particular people to the ends of the earth and, and kill them, uh, you know, with every fiber of our being, this is what we're about. Um, or we're going to uphold the virtues of the land and uh, swear to uh, never falsely imprison someone, you know, whatever, whatever the case is, like you've got a list of those things. And then again, if I'm digging in a little bit deeper, I may have a couple other sub points of we will strive to most of the time also accomplish these subcategories but except when it uh maybe flies in the face of accomplishing our main goals right uh it, it could be that we want to hunt down demons and fiends and destroy them uh to the utmost and we also maybe believe in not imprisoning people because all men should be free well what if i have the opportunity to imprison a demon and interrogate them uh, in the hopes of maybe uh, trying to uh, hunt down the the leader of the uh, you know the the demon and the cult that are trying to summon the demon lord. Well, now I've got to kind of violate one of my principles in order to you know adhere to another one. Um, so it's good to have them kind of either in a, a particular order of preference or just here's ones that we will dogmatically hold to, here's ones that we're gonna kind of play fast and loose with, um, but it gives you a lot of uh, flexibility. And again, it kind of allows you to um, be very specific in those motivations and goals and kind of put them in um, you know, priority order for, you know, for, for the group. I think that's a good starting point. And again, that may be a good way to build out maybe certain people in the organization prioritize that list differently. And so you can have a little bit of uh, intrigue and, you know, back and forth uh, in that regard as well. Yeah, um, I was actually just thinking uh, right now, as far as um, you mentioned about having the, the tenants, uh, which is good. And if that's like short, sweet and overly communicated, uh, and then the party witnesses a individual that isn't doing that as dogmatically as the rest, then that might be the witness of, you know, that inner faction turmoil. That's like, you know, maybe someone's just, yeah. Hey, you know, wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, Finn from star Wars, like, you know, uh, wait a minute, this isn't really what I thought it was, or, you know, I don't hold the same dogmatic beliefs and let's, let's figure this out. And that, you know, you can, you know, craft stories around that. And like, you know, do you rat the person out? Do you, you know, try to understand and sympathize? There's a lot of, a lot of ways you could take that, but yeah. Know, I, I would say at that point, though, you definitely need to have those tenets or those very short, you know, like let's eradicate the devils of the world, um, like emphatically, like, you know, hi, welcome to our faction. If you decide to join, here's what we do. Demons, devils, we, we, we get rid of them and then, you know, have it expand and see the differences, uh, from certain, uh, NPCs of, of the faction. So I think that's good. Yeah. Um, now, you know, going back to kind of NPCs a little bit, a little bit more, 
um, I wanted to talk about GMPCs. Like, what is the difference? You mentioned it already, but uh, we didn't actually clarify what it was. Yeah, I was trying to bait you a little bit into this one, and you didn't. You didn't take the uh... just yet. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to go back to it. All right. So, so what is a GMPC? Why? Why are? Why is it that not all NPCs are GMPCs? Yeah, uh, for me, uh, you know, we have PCs. Let's maybe start there. We got player, you know, player characters. Those are the ones, you know, sitting around the table and, uh, you know, it's that collaborative storytelling between the GM and the PCs. You got the NPCs where the GM is, you know, building up the, the world, the, the, the setting, the tone uh for the pcs to you know also tell their their story gmpcs try i feel like they 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 interject a little bit more than a typical npc does uh so that the gm personally has a playable character that is uh, more stakes more involvement more um participation uh within the the party itself that's that's how i would probably describe it yeah so so for me my my npcs um very often uh there's there's certainly no character sheet made for them right Mm -hmm. and most of them uh there is also isn't even a stat block right Uh, because you know, unless you just have murder hobos in your party that you need to have, you know, stats for everybody they interact with just on the off chance they decide to attack the, you know, the tavern owner because they don't like the the beer he's selling that day or the shopkeeper because they won't, you know, sell for 50% off, uh, you know, on their super rare dagger they're trying to buy. Um, that aside, most of your NPCs aren't necessarily even going to need basic stats. So I uh, will sometimes categorize them as part of the personality type, the the goals, all that sort of stuff. Uh, give them a trait. This character is strong. This character is fast, right? This character is a magical character. So I have at least some sort of concept that should I need to make a basic role for them that I can lean into that. And so maybe they have a couple of bonuses when it relates to magical types of things. This person is an academic and so they have higher things. So if a player uh, player character is going to ask them a question and um, I don't want them to immediately have the answer, I need them to make a role. Sure. Uh, this person's that academic. So if they ask uh a intellectual type question. Maybe I'll give them a bonus. I'll roll my D20 and we'll go from there. GMPCs are a completely different monster. Many times when you make a GMPC, you're essentially creating a character to be on par with the other player characters. And so you're giving them a level, you're giving them a class, a subclass, whatever your particular flavor of tabletop game, uh, you know, designs for you and you're often trying to keep them uh leveled up with the party npcs uh are often going to remain static and uh when you interact with them 
you know, one time you come back to the town the next time, they're not going to have leveled up, leveled up just because the party leveled up. They're not necessarily smarter or better at what they're doing just because the party is. Where if you have a GMPC, like you said, they're traveling with the group, the stakes are a little bit higher. And so you also have them leveling with the group. They may be carrying magic items just like the party is. Um, they may be interacting in strategy sessions just like the party does where a normal NPC might offer information as more info dumps and then step back and let the party take over. Um, so wh why do you think that certain people really like the GMPC? Because we know, we knew uh, just personally, uh, we're across the board. Some of us really like it. Some of us are kind of iffy on it. And some of us can't stand a GMPC. So why do you think uh, it is that maybe some people really like the GMPC? I think, I think certain people like the GMPC because there are times that as a, as a GM, you know, you are dealing with the world at a little bit higher of a level than the integralness of the main characters, right? You're always the minor characters or the backup characters or the villain characters, or you're the setting, you're the descriptions, you know, you're, you're, you're not the spotlight. Right. And I think at times the GM wants that because they've played games, you know, every GM was probably a player first. Right. And you get either that nostalgia or that excitement of, of a player. And, you know, you take the time to, you know, carefully craft your PC like any other player would. And you just want to have a few sessions or longer um, to have that type of a, a game experience. Um, yeah, that, that's, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's why people would want to have a GMPC for sure. I know I've, I've personally heard people say that the the GM job is kind of a side thing that they, they want to craft the story. They want to help everybody tell the story, but with the injecting a PC into the party with them allows them to also then play with their friends where just being the GM sometimes feels too antagonistic for them. So they want to put a GMPC, um, so they can actually enjoy playing with their friends, not against their friends. And I've heard that argument as well. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, being able to play with friends is, um, you know, encouraged more than the antagonistic approach. Sure. Um, and so, you know, for me, I always like to create NPCs that, you know, some are friendly, some aren't, you know, it doesn't always have to be antagonistic. It doesn't always have to be like, you know, I have my secrets and I'm just going to, you know, create tension for no good reason. Um, you know, sometimes they're just open and just NPCs are allowed to, you know, feel and uh, express excitement about adventure, even if they're not good at it, or even if you don't have, you know, levels and, uh, you know, you could still have the stats of any NPC, you know, you pull up the monster manual, you know, you can have those, you know, even if you want to prep for a fight, like you said, you can just be generic and say they're, you know, a skirmisher, roguish, uh, or they're magical. Um, you know, that's, they can still be good, you know, helpful 
characters. Um, sometimes it's just what they know. Sometimes, you know, they have a family heirloom magical item and, you know, they might not want to get, give it up, but if you just save them or help them, then maybe they're willing to just be nice about it instead of saying, Oh, thanks. Okay. Bye. Uh, you know, all without needing a GMPC, but, um, I, I, you know, I, I personally am not as, uh, fond of it as when I run, um, games, uh, that's not usually my, my why, focus why not? There. What's, what's the potential downside to a GMPC? Sure. So like for me, I would say, you know, GMPC, you know, they're kind of there for the long haul. Right. And though it, can be fine for npcs to be there you you mentioned about like they are they're making the decisions they are like with the party and sometimes meta knowledge creeps in where the player is like oh perhaps the gm is trying to tell me something so we should do a instead of b uh or sometimes the gm makes a cool character that just completely overshadows one of the other characters and it's like okay well as a, as a player i would feel like i'm being written out of my own story right because of a shinier 2.0 version of my character and you know the gm has no restriction on level they could just be better they could be whatever that is and so i don't like that because i feel like i'm somehow taking things away from the players and their characters um that said you know if there's no you know explorative uh ranger type in the group i would be fine with making a complete you know ranger npc you know druidic uh that's all about survival and be like hey i know how to get here let me help you because I know I'm not taking anyone's spotlight. Sure. Uh, but if they're like, Hey, which, you know, we're, we need to make a decision. I would want my, you know, NPC to be like, well, you make the decision and I'll help you get to place a or place B through the jungle or the coastline. Like, you know, I'm good at, you know, exploring and going through and figuring out the best way of doing it. But I need you, the party to make that decision. I'm not going to do that. I'm a guide. So, so, so when is it, when is it a good opportunity to introduce a GMPC versus, uh, for example, maybe in this scenario, you just brought up, uh, hiring a tracker, hiring a guide that knows the area really well, uh, and basically treating them like a sidekick, um, or just a, you know, more general NPC. That's all they really do. They can help forage for food. They know the area. They can get from point A to point B and the party's not going to get lost. But you don't necessarily introduce them as a full, like you said, druid or a ranger where the party is now expecting them to participate in combat and, and that type of thing. When is it a good time to introduce that versus just lay back and, and leave them as a more generic NPC? Um. I would say, uh, as, as a GM, you, you kind of get the idea, uh, of where the, uh, 
party might want to go where the, where the player characters are interested in doing right uh hopefully it's on a you know plot hook that you've you know brought them along uh but you know in this example um you know you you know that there isn't a, a survival tracker in the group uh and you want them to feel important uh you want the players to feel important their their characters to feel important but you know that there's no survival you know tracker and so if you have them roll they're going to just be lost in the jungle for you know you're throwing random uh encounters until you're blue in the face and then you're like all right you end up getting to your destination like that's not a good story so it's a little bit of just forethought of like okay do they need someone like that uh, you know and they don't have to take them but you know present the option maybe at that point like you know the 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 tavern before they set out on this jungle expedition you know there's a couple of people and you know that catch their interests whatever reason and one of them is the tracker or it's on the board of you know hiring services um and they're not in the tavern but you know it takes one one extra afternoon to you know file the paperwork and boom you now have that hired help that you know you might not have been able to do before um so i I think it's good to just sort of know what the capabilities of the party is without taking the spotlight if someone's trying to become that tracker in the group but isn't yet that's also a good time you know be that mentor npc and just be like okay over the course of you know helping on these survival checks so to speak you know you're you're getting a little better and so when they decide that they want to you know, multi-class into a druid or a ranger, it, it makes sense. Um, so those are also, you know, good times if, you know, if, if the players are interested in becoming something that they're not yet, uh, having those opportunities for, for the players, you know, story-wise, thematically, it just makes sense. Sure. Uh, instead of just being like, oh, and you shoehorned, you know, ranger tracking because reasons um you know, yeah, or, or even worse you know we've, we've got a barbarian at the party but i also built a barbarian that i was wanting to try out and they just happen to have decent survival and perception so they can operate as the tracker um right. yeah. yeah and so now now you're like you said you're stepping on the toes of of somebody else so here's here's my rule of thumb uh that i've developed over time um if i'm going to use a GM PC, it's most likely going to be for a short period of time. And it's going to be because they are in some capacity uh, quest related, often mm-hmm. because they are the quest giver. Um, recently uh, in the campaign, the long time campaign we've been running for a while, um, I can think of two off the top of my head. You had an academic at a library that uh, had a satchel stolen from him. And so he went with you literally into the sewers and traveled around until you guys uh, helped him find the satchel that was stolen. He thanked you, he rewarded you, and then he was done. That was a session or two. 
not that big of a deal, but I had a, a stat sheet, your character sheet made for him, and he's come up once or twice since then as either a source of information or you, know, you recently you just came across him again face to face. I've got a stat block for him. I've got you know a sheet if and when he ever needs to come up again, but uh, he can now be a recurring NPC, but because he was the stat or the quest giver, he participated in a session or two with you. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And then you also had uh, the opportunity where you were on two different ships. One of them, you were looking to hire somebody. You convinced them to transport you to a certain place. And uh, that particular captain was very generic. He had a name, he had a ship, but just a basic stat block and uh, not much more to it until you got to another destination where you met a captain of a bigger ship. He had a quest for you. I had a character sheet ready for him and you met Captain Malden the Eel and you ended up going on this massive undersea uh, like lagoon of a dungeon um, to get some items for him in exchange for him transporting you from point A to point B. So you basically accomplished his quest for him with him in the party and then you parted ways when you got to your destination and you you know went about your business. Um, and with him, at least, you haven't necessarily seen hide or hair of him and haven't really thought to ask. Um, so that's the type of GMPCs that I introduce, uh, that they are in some way quest related, especially if they're a quest giver. The one uh, exception that I think I, I make to that is if you're going to have a long term character stay with the party almost from beginning to end. A, make sure it's for a valid reason and something that ultimately will influence the whole story. And B, make sure that they have some sort of driving uh, motivation or flaw uh, that makes it so that the party knows they're not the one to make the decisions, that they don't become the de facto leader and that the party doesn't always trust them to have the quote right option um, because it, it, they always will. They'll look to your NPC because you as the GM have in the back of your mind the scenario played out. And so if you offer a suggestion, hey, I think we should accomplish this particular quest by doing A, B, and C, they're going to turn around and say, actually, yeah, that's probably right because in the back of their mind, they're thinking the GM knows what's going on. The GM is trying to help us here. Mm. So if I have a long-term uh, PC joining the party, I will intentionally have them uh, with particular flaws. Um, you know, I, I had a like a uh, half orc rogue uh, that you know traveled around with you guys in a, a party for a long time, and he would pop in and out. But he was basically a GM PC. But you guys knew his solution to everything was sneak in, kill them all, and sneak out. Even if that was not the right option, that was what he wanted to do all the time. Um, you also had a, a paladin in that same campaign that traveled with the party constantly, um, but she had a much more highbrow and, you know, high level understanding of the world. Uh, but at the same time, she was also very naive to the way that things worked. She had an idealistic view of the world. And when it didn't work out that way, you also found out eventually she had a level of barbarian and would, you know, go rage crazy on stuff. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, the the group started to realize, hey, these people may have 
ideas, may have suggestions, but we can't rely on them to make the decisions for us because just like us, they're flawed. So you need to create your GMPCs with almost over the top flaws that people are um, readily able to see. Now, when we make our, our player characters, sometimes those flaws take a while to come out or sometimes they're buried and hidden and don't always show up. I try to make sure that if I have a long term recurring character, the players always remember, hey, I can't rely on this person in this particular situation. Uh, I need to go it, you know on my own and trust my own instinct. Um, so that's the one exception, I guess, that I make when I don't have, uh, you know, pop in, pop out characters and they stick with the party for a long time. Yeah. Uh, like you said, like for, for quests, I, I see, I see the appeal for sure. Uh, they want to see the quest in its fruition and they want to help because they offered, you know, the quest in the first place. Um, you know, it definitely, uh, again, I probably, you know, would overly stress that, you know, you want to stay in your swim lane in the sense of, you know, you don't want to overshadow the existing party. Yeah. Um, so if there's no, you know, uh, face to the party and you make, you know, a bar, a paladin, like a, a very charismatic individual, like, great. But if there already is one and now all of a sudden your GMPC is just trying to overstep uh, for any you know conversations that need to be had, uh, like that's just not going to be fun for the players. Uh, right. The GM and might be having more fun. Then, yeah, exactly. We go back then to um, our, our rules for session zero is at the end of the day, is everybody having fun? And, and yeah. if your desire to insert a character sheeted, you know, PC into the group is actually going to take away the fun of the players, well, it's probably a good idea to not do that. And plus, as a GM, you have so many other things to keep track of that the last thing you need is, you know, a couple character sheets in front of you to also, you know, memorize the spells, memorize the abilities, you know, it, on top of everything else. Uh, I know from experience, it seems like a, a fun idea, but there are so many things to track, especially in combat that you're going to regret ever you know, tackling it to begin with. So uh, keep that in mind too. Yeah. And uh, I know um, even though it was a short uh, campaign, um, you know, having a GMPC or, you know, a statted out NPC, I, just handed it to you guys and said, you know, you, you, you build them up, uh, how you like, uh, you know, he's definitely a magic wielder. Uh, if anyone wants to, you know, because you guys lacked, you know, any intelligent characters, I'm like, here's right. a wizard. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, it's, it's fine. You, you know, it's, it's help for now. Uh, it might not be permanent. Um, and it, it definitely wasn't permanent, but, um, you know, in the meantime, I, I think I use the sidekick rules of like, you know, they are lower level than you. So again, it keeps that, that focus on the main characters, the party, you know, they are an assistant, right? Uh, even yeah. as a, you know, he, he had a quest, he had goals, aspirations for himself, but was like, I, you know, yield to 
the party. Um, but I am also the smart one. So, you know, maybe he had machinations that the party never knew. Maybe he didn't. Um, but he can at least provide that, you know, specified uh, spotlight with, you know, helping with just lore. Um, and it was in game. It was from a character. So it could have been skewed at times. Right. Uh, but I, I feel like that's also useful. Um, but then it just it doesn't take away from anyone else. And it's just like, oh, they're there. They can assist by, you know, slinging a spell every now and again. Or, you know, maybe they don't have, you know, two to three attacks like the rest of the party. And they just do one one attack. Well, you know, it's better than nothing. But sure. it's not like, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, how do you want to do this? GMPC constantly asking yourself uh, how great you are. You know, it's just right, right. You don't want that. So uh, you definitely need to have that balance and keep checking to see if the if the players are actually still having fun with that GMPC present. But, you know, being a part of a quest, that's that's great, you know, but it's that fine line of like, uh, OK, we get it. You are the greatest thing since sliced bread GMPC. Um, why don't we just let you, you know, lead the group, make the decisions, fight everything, kill everything by yourself. And we're just kind of tag along. It's like, that's uh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And and a lot of times that's um, what we find sometimes uh, when, when we play, I think it's often uh, the GM's way of hedging their bets. I'm not entirely certain how balanced this combat's going to be, so I'm going to have a slightly overpowered uh, character sitting in the wings, maybe observing, maybe, you know, I'm, quote, training the group, and so I'm only going to step in if they absolutely need it. Um, And and that's a way of hedging their bets and saying, okay, well, I don't want to do a TPK because I'm too nice for that. And so I have this overpowered character sitting and just making sure that nothing bad happens. But that's really telling the players and the characters uh, within the story, I don't fully trust you to do the thing that you're being told to do. So I'm going to send a babysitter. Um, and and that's not necessarily a great precedent, either in character or out of character uh, to set. So I, I would caution against that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and maybe we can uh, have another uh, topic of just talking about tpks and uh how to avoid them I, I know we talked about them a little bit with session zero with expectations but um you know how to avoid them without that babysitter is maybe a, a good topic there sure but yeah i mean gmpcs they they have their they have their uses but definitely uh i i use them with a grain of salt and that's what i would personally recommend but um they definitely have value from time to time for sure um so yeah i mean that's gmpcs npcs and, and factions uh do you have any uh, thing you'd like to add to any of those topics yeah i think in general with all of those uh i would highly recommend to hold on to all of them loosely um you never know what is going to be said or done to them near them about them, whatever the case is, by the party um, that could change everything. Um, Whether that's uh, a physical assault, 
attack, whatever the case is, maybe you're not ready for the villain to be revealed and they happen to get into a fight over, you know, uh, some sort of slight at a, you know, a costume ball. Let that play out. And if they're meant to be the big bad, but you, you know, they're caught unaware and the party's able to take them down, great. That's the whole point of building a story together. It's not your story as the GM that they just ruined um, by not allowing them to dimension door out or whatever the case is. Uh, it's your group story collectively. And they, I promise you, they will be telling that story for years to come. Um, uh, so hold on to your NPCs, hold on to your factions. If they happen to just run, you know, uh, rampant all the way through a particular faction, uh, destroy it from the inside out because they were able to infiltrate in some way and it throws off your story. It throws off your intrigue. Let them. It's okay. It makes for a better story. It will always make for a better story when it's collaborative rather than one that you fashioned in your mind thinking it's the greatest thing since sliced bread and you just want the rest of the players to experience it while you tell them what's going on. Uh, I promise you that's not what they're there for. Um, and then especially with your GMPCs, you know, normally when we have a player character, we are really bought into them, right? Like the, we, we really want them to succeed. Uh, we don't want them to fail. We absolutely don't want them to die. We've got an emotional investment in them. Um, and by definition, even though we're playing as GMs, uh, if we create a player character, we go through the, the time and energy to build them, give them a character sheet to do the personality stuff that we talked about. Um, we're going to be a little bit more emotionally invested in them, but we still need to hold on to them very loosely that at the end of the day, they're not a full fledged PC. We can't treat them like a full fledged PC. If they die, it's okay, right? It's not the end of the world. We need to let those things happen. And, and sometimes really cool things happen, uh, to GMPCs. Uh, I've been a uh, part of a game where, uh, a GMPC was kind of introduced, traveled with the party almost unwittingly for a while and eventually died. And the party, uh, was, she was so beloved to the party. They went out of their way to try to figure out how to resurrect her. And that became a central premise to the campaign for a while. But like the GMPC that you were talking about, the wizard, because we needed somebody smart in the group. Well, we intentionally, it was an evil campaign. We found that he didn't really have any more uses to us. So we took his book, which is what gave us all the information. And we sacrificed him to a vampire lord in exchange for more power, right? Hold yeah. on to your GMPCs loosely, just like you do your NPCs, because you don't know what the players are going to do. And, and let them have fun with the story, um, because again, you're crafting it together. That's the big thing that I would emphasize. Everything you're doing, you're building together. Um, so you know, let them destroy your carefully crafted NPCs and your carefully crafted factions. I promise it'll make for a better story and it'll be a better tale to tell uh, years to come. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Like, you know, keep your creations uh, at, a, at an arm's length, like enjoy it while it lasts um that sounds very zen i guess but like <laughs> you know like but know that they if the players or if the characters decide they want to like you know 
be super creative or be very, you know, vengeful or whatnot and just you know, wipe a village off the face of the earth. Like for whatever reason, they wanted to do that and they're going to remember that they're going to have fun, you know, yeah, consequences, all that aside, like they'll be like, remember that time when we took down the mage, you know, the mageocracy in that campaign, like versus remember that time we wanted to do the thing and we were stopped every step along the way. Yeah. Um, you, you don't want that. Um, but yeah, like have fun, but no, like be prepared and you'd be in the mindset that, you know, in your world building and like nothing is permanent, like nothing lasts forever. And if they decide to do crazy things that you weren't expecting, that's part of the fun. You got to roll with the punches, be adaptable. Um, but you know, it's, you know, factions, NPCs, like locations, like there's a lot that, (laughs) you know, that, that a party can do, uh, you know, the, the more they level up, the more crazy shenanigans they could get themselves into and, or get themselves out of. And, you know, a GMPC might just be gobbled up by a dragon and uh, that's that like, (laughs) Oh, (laughs) right. Okay. Uh, cool. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth noting that when it comes to the, the factions and NPCs and GMPCs, like, you know, they'll, they'll love some and hate others or be indifferent with a majority of them. Like don't lose like, uh, excitement knowing that like, uh, it, there's always room for, for growth, improvement, um, for any storytelling. So, and you know, some if they're role playing well, then they might just be indifferent with a certain, you know, personality of, of an NPC or a GMPC. Um, yeah. You, you may have invested a lot of time developing a particular NPC and it just doesn't hit with the party. And then they turn around and, you know, uh, there's, there's one lone bobble in the goblin that they, <laughs> that they want to adopt and become the party mascot. You just never know how things are going to play out. Yeah. And so, you know, you, again, roll with the punches and, and, but don't like be mad at the players for the decisions that they want to take, you know, like you can adjust things and add consequences to their actions, but don't, you know, try not to be mad, um, for them destroying portions of your, of your game. So, yeah, cause it's not your game and then it didn't really destroy it. They just heavily modified your pre-planned story arc and that's all that it is it's a couple lines of sentences in your outline that gets tweaked a little bit and uh, again i i firmly believe that it makes for a better story in the in the long run awesome cool well Well, it was great dueling with you today yeah same here um so that that i think concludes npcs gm pcs and factions so right thank you yeah likewise till next time we'll catch you later next time